welcome back to another episode of Fantasy Baseball Buds. I am your host tonight, Richie. Joined with me as always is Matt Morris. We are recording on Wednesday, February 23rd, and we got a great show for you tonight. We're going to go over some news and notes, go over our breakouts and busts, and then we'll uh, finish up with some free agent predictions for uh, those players that are remaining during this lockout. Um, but first, Matt, how are you doing? What's new? What's going on, my man? Yeah, it's uh, getting more exciting. I feel kind of the baseball momentum building up. You know, listening to a lot of podcasts, doing a lot of research. We are supposed to be coming closer to spring training, but that is just not the case, is it? No, it's not. Let's start out with the MLB lockout. The latest news, um, and probably the the headliner, is the MLB announced that if there is not a new agreement by February 28th, which was the the deadline that they set in order for the season to start on time, they will be canceling games and not making those games up. Um, pretty much stating that a deadline's a deadline and they're not budging. So, what are your initial thoughts on that? I think it's a power play. I think this is something that the owners, again, have decided the players themselves and the money they've lost out on in that 2020 shortened season um, will fold, right? I think the, the owners think the players are the guys that need the money the, the most. And I think the players look at this from a simple perspective of this is a really good opportunity for us to put our foot down. Um, I think by the 28th, we do not have a deadline set. There has been news circulating about the six hours they met for this past week, which actually wasn't a six-hour meeting. It was a six-hour deliberation. Both sides sat in separate rooms and talked about essentially what their proposal would be, how they would counter. And then when they actually got to the table, very little, if any, room was made to kind of clear the way for that 28th deadline. I think we're in trouble in all honesty. And at the end of the day, it comes down to the owner's greed. I think for like a realistic perspective here is, you know, we're going to have an agreement eventually. Why not just expedite it? Why miss games? Let's get to the table. Let's make an agreement. Let's shorten the agreement if necessary. You know, let's make this a two or three year collective bargaining agreement. Get us through this, you know, COVID, you know, period in time within baseball and within the world and then reassess how things are going. Ultimately, a lot of the things that we talked about, you know, last season, the season before that we're going to need to be addressed through this um, arbitration process or this ultimate um, collective bargaining agreement aren't even going to be handled in terms of service time and rookie contracts. So they're really just arguing over the base money now. I think both sides need to just you know accept the fact that it's either 60, 70, 80 million dollars that they're going to agree to uh, and it's just not looking that way. So we've got five days left. Yeah, I think with them putting their foot in the sand and saying no, it's a deadline, I think that will maybe help the players to uh, lessen uh, what they're expecting and kind of hopefully we can get a, a deal done sooner rather than later but let's go over some of the other news i'm gonna rattle some off here for you and then we can kind of just talk a little bit about each of them juan soto turned down a, a contract offer of 13 years 350 million dollars third base um, for the Texas Ranger, Josh Young is going to miss the next six to eight months with a shoulder injury, getting surgery on his shoulder labrum. Corbin Carroll, prospect for the Arizona Diamondbacks, completely out last year. He has now been cleared for spring training. Charlie Morton's nearing the end of his rehab on his broken leg. DJ LeMahieu should be fully healthy after his sports hernia surgery. 
there's rumors that Matt Olson may be traded to the Texas Rangers. And then uh, the one I found today was Matt Carpenter uh, has been training with Joey Votto in the offseason to fix his swing after batting 169 with only three home runs last year. And that's significant because Joey Votto also changed his swing last year and kind of found his power stroke. Um, so, Matt, what are your big takeaways out of all of these news items? I think Corbin Carroll is a guy that we have both liked over the past few seasons. Um, did have that injury last year, which really limited his time in the minor leagues. I think we're going to see him probably this season in Arizona. That team is ready to have that youth movement. Their rebuild is kind of in the middle. Uh, they have Corbin Carroll and they have Alec Thomas, both guys that can roam that outfield, both guys that I would comp similar to Brian Reynolds, You know, maybe a little bit better, maybe a little bit worse for one of the two. But definitely a guy I'm excited to see uh, play in that in that ballpark. And then you have the older guys, right? Charlie Morton coming back at the end of his broken leg. We're hoping to see a top 15 performance out of Morton again this season, especially after the way he dominated at the end of last year. I think himself uh, and a few other guys definitely propelled teams and managers to championships. Carpenter obviously has had his struggles, uh, did have that incredible breakout after he started eating salsa a few years ago. Obviously, that's a joke. Um, Joey Votto, I think, is a great guy to work with, right? Votto had two or three years in obscurity in fantasy baseball, then came back to form as possibly, you know, MVP top seven first baseman last year. And the big one that kind of jumps out at me is Olsen. You know, we've talked a little bit about the Oakland A's possibly relocating to Las Vegas, my hometown now where I live. And you look at that roster, and the more and more pieces that they give away, the less and less sexy it's going to be when they do choose to move cities, because I think it's a foregone conclusion. You know, Oakland is just not going to give them the money they're requiring to rebuild a stadium and build the environment of bars and restaurants and shopping centers around that stadium that they want. So you trade away Olsen now, which I think will happen. I love the Rangers with that. I think it really heightens that lineup, especially with the news of uh, Josh Young, Josh Young being out for, you know, six to eight months. But what does it do to the actual roster for the A's? And you're talking about then Matt Chapman being one of the only guys left with Ramon uh, Liriano, who also is suspended for 22 games for PED use. Those guys I would expect also to be shipped out of town. And when you look at the A's minor league system, there isn't a lot to catch your eye in flashy players. Matt Olson is the guy that's going to hit possibly 40 home runs, right? He's the guy that you know have, has people at least show up to the ballpark. So concerning overall, if they do choose to move Olson from a marketing perspective, but I think the A's in general need to really rebuild that farm system and go out and, and again, sign the guys, the, the C and D tier prospects, or excuse me, free agents that people have given up on ultimately to have resurgent seasons and then trade those guys for more prospects. Uh, I just don't know what the Rangers minor league system is going to be able to move in order to get a Matt Olson done. Obviously losing Joey Gallo last year leaves a hole at first base. Yeah, speaking of Rangers, I think uh, the biggest news item for me is Josh Young being out for that six to eight months. We were talking a little bit before the podcast, and he was one of the third basemen I was uh, trying to get, and we kind of joked about how you were going to bid me up and make sure I uh, paid up for him. So I guess that uh, negates that a little bit, but kind of sad considering we just talked about him last week on our podcast. Well, yeah, in the last couple of years, we've seen these, you know, these minor leaguers that are about to make the cusp have these injuries, right? We just talked about Corbin Curl. Uh, now it's Josh Young. And you look at Royce Lewis a few years ago at the torn ACL. I know he wasn't projected to come up to the major leagues that season, but, you know, really hindering their development. And it, it just, it sucks overall. You know, this, this Rangers team was looking to compete this season. 
obviously signing Corey Seager, uh, signing Marcus Semien. You know, Young is a big guy that was going to fall into that, that lineup and ultimately benefit with the counting stats of those, uh, those free agents that they brought in. And now you talk about having this big hole with Kiner, um, Kiner Falefa at third base, which is definitely not the same production you were going to get from Young. So I get why they're going to bring in Matt Olson, but you know, it's, you show up to camp with a torn labrum. I don't know if he hurt himself in camp. It's the left arm. So at least it's not the throwing arm. I don't think it'll impede him moving forward, playing that third base position, but definitely a young guy that I think a lot of people were looking for in Roto and points leagues to come up and kind of be, you know, middle to end of the draft, a guy that you can draft at third base, a weak position. You know, we'll see that once we get to our rankings, as a guy that could possibly provide top 12, top 15 upside just based on the lineup he's going to be in. And he's out now, presumably, until I'd say, you know, middle of August, probably, right? Yeah, I, yep, yep, right around six to eight months. Um, it'd be interesting to see, especially once this lockout's done, because Chris Bryant, he is a free agent. So it'd be, I don't know what the Rangers' uh, salary cap looks like, especially after this deal and if that gets raised, but maybe they make a move for him. We'll see. Uh, let's move on to breakouts and busts. Um, so I know you and I both have a long list of people we like and dislike this year. So how about we do this? Um, I'll pick out one batter and pitcher. We'll go a little bit about it and then, uh, you do the same and we'll kind of take it from there. I'll start out. Um, the first breakout I have is Eloy Jimenez. Now this is an individual who was on the cusp of breaking out in 2020. His StatCast numbers shot off the page. Everything, his max exit velocity was top 6% of the league. His um, barrel rate was top 4% of the league. His hard hit rate was top 2% of the league. In that shortened, shortened uh, COVID season, he was uh, looking like the real deal. Um, in my mind, it was on that similar trajectory of Vlad Guerrero and his breakout that he did last year. Unfortunately, last year he missed a good portion of the season due to injury, but most of his underlying numbers supported what he was doing in 2020, and he was on that path to doing it again. Um, however, this year Vlad Guerrero is going in round one, where Eloy Jimenez is going outside the top five picks, or top five rounds, I should say, depending on which league you play in, and I think that's going to be a steal, and I think this time next year, we're talking about Eloy Jimenez as a round two, maybe round three pick. Matt, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you talk about Eloy Jimenez, you know, one of the guys grouped in the Vladimir Guerrero, Fernando Tatis, uh, Julio Rodriguez international signings a guy that was going to be a no doubt all-star year after year had the peck injury he has the talent we just need to see him you know elevate the ball a little bit, bit more get away from the ground balls and you're talking about a guy that's going to hit 300 with 30 to 40 home runs every single year um, and he's young I think you know we've we've had the blessing of seeing a healthy Vladimir Guerrero and for the most part a healthy Fernando Tatis and this is what that level of talent gives you in terms of production, right? Those guys are first-rounders, no question. Eloy just needs to put together a full campaign, develop a little bit more, elevate the ball, and you're talking about him, you know, end of the first round, if not paired up just with those guys. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be exciting to see how he uh, progresses throughout the year. The next breakout I have is a pitcher, Aaron Ashby. Um, maybe this is a homer pick because he is a Milwaukee Brewer. Uh, he pitched in long relief uh, for the Brewers last year. Now, his 
underlying numbers look much better than what he actually did. His first outing, he gave up seven runs, four earned in two and thirds innings, and then his final outing, he gave up six earned runs in two and a third. Um, but if you take out those two outings that he has, last year he had a 1.7 ERA. And he's got an arsenal to back it up. I believe he's got five pitches. But the one big um, thing I want to take away here is his slider's been compared to his former team or his current teammate, Corbin Burns. And he's kind of on that similar path. Corbin Burns was a mid to long relief guy before he got the call up to being a starter and ultimately broke out. I think we see something similar with Aaron Ashby. Every year there's going to be injury. Um, he's probably sixth in line behind Adrian Hauser and Eric Lauer. But I wouldn't be surprised if one of them falters or gets injured and Aaron Ashby comes up, is asked to make a few spot starts, and then he just takes off and is the guy and they never look back. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think the ability to have that um, you know, that off-speed combination that Ashby has is devastating in this league. You talk about guys that you're drafting for high-end upside in fantasy baseball. You're looking for guys that can have strikeouts and ultimately guys that can put together innings. And I think that's the only downside with Ashby is right now the starting rotation spots in question. You know, Milwaukee, for the most part, has a full rotation. I think that, of course, can change come spring training. And that's with a lot of these guys. We need to see what happens in spring training in order to really gauge the the, the true upside for some of these guys. I think Michael Kopech kind of falls in that line as well. There are obviously a few other names. But to see Ashby in the rotation this year as maybe the number five, you know, I, I think would provide tremendous upside, especially if you're playing in points leagues where uh, that SPARP is, is really relevant. And we've seen the upside from Ashby. High strikeout potential, right? Doesn't throw as hard as a Chris Sale, but definitely has the off-speed pitches to throw guys off. My uh, my first breakout for batter, I'm actually going to lump a couple of these guys into um, a single classification here. I'm looking at younger catchers. That's Kerbert Ruiz, uh, Tyler Stevenson, and then a little bit older catcher, Omar Novaez. Novaez last year, if you listen to the podcast, was a guy I was pretty high on. Good bat-to-ball contact skills, had the ability to hit you know, 15, 16 home runs, as we saw last year. I think we even see a larger step forward for Narvaez this season as he continues to play for that contract coming up in a few years here. And as he has the full-time job in Milwaukee, uh, Manny Pena is now in Atlanta, so he's not going to have the same in and out of the lineup inconsistency that we saw when the Brewers wanted to bring more of a defensive-minded catcher in there. I think Narvaez has the opportunity to possibly hit 20, 25 home runs if he can really take that step forward. Tyler Stevenson for the Reds, obviously. Tucker Barnhart is no longer on that team. He is in Detroit. So I think they're going to give Stevenson a full chance to have that job. You saw him move around the diamond a little bit last year. I think he played a little bit of first base to get him in the lineup. Uh, had a nice September as well. You saw the power that was there. I, I don't think we t- we see a full you know 20 home run se- season from Stevenson, but the, the power is potentially there. Um, and then talking about Kerbert Ruiz coming over from the Dodgers to the Nationals, you know, big-time prospect for the Dodgers, one of the guys that they obviously had to move when Max Scherzer came over. Ruiz is also going to be a day-one starter. You're talking about, again, good contact skills. Uh, not much speed there, but again, that's the catcher position. And an overall package, I think, possibly anywhere from 280 to 300 batting average upside there with, again, possibility of 15 to 20 home runs. Only downside is he's playing in kind of a weaker lineup. You know, Trey Turner is gone. It's basically him as the youngster with Juan Soto and and a couple of guys sprinkled in. So you're going to need to see him take a step forward. The counting stats will probably be hit on that. And then the last bat at the catcher position I want to talk about is breakout 
is Darton Volsho. Uh, definitely a guy that is going to be playing center field, not catcher, but he's catcher eligible. I would imagine he still gets a few starts behind the dish this season. Uh, Varsho is actually from University of Milwaukee. He was drafted higher by the Diamondbacks. You know, he is a catcher that actually has the speed potential to steal you some bags. So in categories, he's a guy that you may want to actually lean on, uh, maybe top five in all honesty, because he's going to get those stolen bases. He's going to play every day as well, for the most part, playing in center field there. I think the only thing that will hinder his ability in playing in the outfield is if they do call up Carroll um, or Thomas. If those guys come up, I think you're going to start to see Varsho probably more behind the plate. He can play third and first as well. He has a lot of versatility. I don't think we've seen that at the major league level yet. But my breakouts are looking at the catcher position because, again, this this season is looked at as a little bit weak. Moving forward in the years to come, we're looking at more of a uh, solidified catching kind of core. But these guys are young, and they're looking to make that next step. And then my pitcher breakout, I'm going to go with Dylan Cease. Uh, Dylan Cease, one of the top prospects for the Cubs before he was moved for Jose Quintana years ago. Uh, Cease ended up last season with a 3.91 ERA, a 1.25 WHIP, with 226 strikeouts. He flashed upside potential of a top 15 pitcher. Had some really bad games as well, but Cease is young. Uh, and what we've seen with that White Sox pitching staff is the ability for them to kind of get these guys back into form and take that next step. Lucas Giolito, Carlos Rodon. I really am looking for Cease this season to have a, a 3.5 ERA. If he can really bring down that whip from a 1.25 to say a you know 1.15, I think you're talking about that half point ERA shaved off. And the strikeouts are there. So when we talk about fantasy guys and guys that we want to lean on for upside, you know, we've seen the strikeouts from Cease already. That will obviously continue as long as the skill set continues. We need to see him take that next step in terms of whip as well as ERA. Yeah, I definitely agree with most of what you said. Kybert Ruiz, somebody I've been high on for multiple years. Love his contact skills. Definitely think he'll be above a 300 hitter. I'm hoping that he can really develop that power and get above that 20 home run threshold. We didn't see much of it last year. The only thing I really worry about is that Tyler Stevenson, like you said, he's got the power. I just worry about his batting average. Statcast had him for an expected batting average of 204 in 2020 and in 2021 expected batting average of 257. So he is going in the right direction. Be nice to see if he could get that up a little bit more, but definitely still a young talent to be on the rise. Dylan Cease, like you said, love what we see in him and all of those Chicago White Sox pitchers have been developing very nicely. Let's move on to some busts. Now, I think this one might rattle your cage a little bit. My first bust is going to be Wander Franco. Now, hear me out on this one. I like Wander Franco. I think he's a phenomenal talent, and he's going to do just well. My issue with this is, according to CBS, he's going as the 51st overall player. And he's listed as the 7th overall shortstop, ahead of Trevor Story, ahead of Francisco Lindor, Carlos Correa, and Tim Anderson. Now, don't get me wrong, last year he batted 288 with seven home runs and two stolen bases. But if you're telling me I can get one of those other four guys, particularly Trevor Story or Tim Anderson, at a later cost, I think I'd rather have one of those guys because at 288 and seven home runs, that's essentially what Tim Anderson is going to give you day in and day out. Um, I think what people are really buying here is that potential of he's a top prospect international you know possibly has that ceiling of being a first or second round overall player which 
I don't see, but I think you're buying the ceiling rather than accounting for what the floor could be with Wander Franco. Yeah, it's, it's hard to gauge Franco, especially when you're talking about the overall hierarchy of fantasy baseball, right? You know, coming into what was his prospect season, his final prospect season, he was expected to have speed. Didn't necessarily flash that same speed in the major leagues, especially when it comes to stolen bases. You know, when it comes to doubles, triples, I think you still have that ability there. He is fast. Uh, the big number I want to lean on here with Franco is in his 2021 season in the major leagues, his BABIP was only 311. I think we see that number go up, hopefully. His highest BABIP in the minor leagues was ranging around 346. Definitely a guy that puts the ball in play, puts the ball in play hard as well, hard hit contact. Uh, definitely saw the power, not throughout the, the whole season last year after that first home run he had in his, his major league debut. I think he went in a stretch of two, two and a half weeks without hitting a home run. I think we're going to see the all all, pa- all whole around package of Wander Franco really come out this uh, second half of summer. You know, look at end of July, August, September. I think we're going to see him finally fully figure out the major leagues and excel. But at 51 overall, you're talking about a guy that is is still, you know, developing. And when you have other guys that are going to give you consistent production, you might want to lean on those guys. But at the end of the day, too, if Franco can start to steal bases, you're looking at a guy that can maybe give you Trey Turner production for a month and a half, being, you know, August, September, um, with a little bit less of the stolen bases. Because I think the power is there. I think the average is there. I think the counting stats in that lineup will also be there. It just comes down to, can he steal enough bags? And as that body develops, you know, does he stay at shortstop? Does he continue to develop into a stronger, older major league player as we continue to see through some of these guys where that speed completely diminishes? 51 overall is a little hard for me. I had saw last night 71st overall, and I kind of more or less liked that positioning. But at the end of the day, in these drafts, managers are going to reach on on ceilings, right? We see that every single year, the guys that should be going 60, 70, they end up going 50, 40 sometimes because managers are so desperate to find that first round value in the third, fourth, and fifth round. I just think Franco at 51, it's it's a little early. Yeah, and I think what people are really buying here is if you look at this stat, on August 14th, he was batting 238. The net, until the end of the season, until October 3rd, he batted 350 to raise it to that 288 mark. So he really got hot there near at the end of the season. And I think that's what a lot of people are keeping in their mind. Um, but at the end of the day, that's only about a month, maybe a month and a half worth of uh, a games that he played. And you see it uh, every season. People go on hot streaks. They get cold. So I think we just need a little more data to see what his what he truly can be. All right, Matt. Your turn. Let me see what uh, bus you got for us. Yeah, so I've got a number of Baltimore Orioles here to kick off the bus list. Um, you know, we talked about this a little bit on the last podcast. It's been talked about throughout the industry. Baltimore did decide to move their left field wall back about 15 feet. That is a significant um, margin, right? So first off, Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini from the right side of the plate. Two power hitters for that lineup that have excelled in Baltimore, have excelled in that ballpark very similar to what Glaber Torres was able to do to Baltimore a few seasons back. I think we're going to see a little bit of regression, especially from the power numbers from both of those guys. Ryan Mountcastle, if I'm correct, hit 22 home runs at home last year. That number will decrease significantly. We obviously saw the resurgence of Trey Mancini um, coming back after the injury, coming back after the cancer bout, having a good season. I, I definitely expect these guys to have middling value next year with the changes in dimensions in that ballpark. 
Then Cedric Mullins as well. Cedric Mullins was 30 for 30 last season. He had an incredible season. I don't want to take away from the breakout that he had and, you know, the overall performance that we saw from Mullins, but 30 home runs and 30 stolen bases, I mean, that gets you as a top, you know, two, three rounder. And I, I want to see a little bit more production on a Cedric Mullins. He had a 5.7 overall war as well. Expect that number to go down. But then the other equation comes into that with Adelaide Rutschman coming up. You're going to have lineup help as well. I just think look for Cedric Mullins to be more of maybe a 2020 guy. Uh, I think that average in general is is kind of fair. You know, he ultimately batted 291. I think we could see him around 280 again. But overall regression. And when you're talking about Cedric Mullins right now, average draft position being that second, third round, it's just a little high for me from a guy that I, I just don't fully trust yet. And then again, you're talking about Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini, guys that you're going to take in the middle of the draft, hoping to provide, you know, upside value, top 10 positioning for both of those guys. I don't think you're going to see it this season. Yeah, definitely with Ryan Mountcastle, his uh, exit velocity is only in the 45th percentile. So he wasn't really that big home run hitter that he should be. And it basically was the park factor that helped him. Cedric Mullins being that left-handed hitter, I'm not too worried about his power production, but like you said, Second, third round, that's a little too rich for me. The next few breakouts I have are basically due to injuries. They didn't really get a chance to show their full potential. Ian Anderson, Sixto Sanchez, they're both going around uh, 150 overall this year. Similar to what they did last year, I'm fully expecting them to take the next step here and show that they can be top 20 guys. All they need is a chance. And then Michael Kopech. If he can get that rotation spot, there's some rumors that he may not get it. But if he does, I think he has uh, the fastball velocity to uh, really show what he's capable of. Uh, what are your thoughts on these guys, Matt? Yeah, Kopex is my biggest issue here. Um, I would say concern, to be honest, right? Industry-wide right now, there's a big consensus that Kopex may not be in line for a starting do- uh, job in Chicago. We saw his ability in in the bullpen last year, definitely has the velocity, definitely has the off-speed pitches. He is one of the highest-touted prospects in most recent memory and was a big reason that the White Sox were willing to move Chris Sale with the Anmancada in that deal. I think Kopech obviously projects as a top-line starter. It's just a matter of can he continue to keep his control in line? Can he continue to find the repertoire necessary to pitch multiple innings in the big leagues to be a starter? I think this is the guy that we're going to be watching in spring training. Can he be stretched out? And do they want to stretch him out? Do they want him in that rotation? And personally, from a fantasy perspective, he is my number one spark. You know, if he is able to enter that rotation starting the year, you're talking about spending as much as you can on a reasonable account to go out and get him in your drafts. But if he's in a bullpen, you're talking about him sliding down draft boards with the opportunity to obviously have him either in your relief pitcher slot in categories leagues or possibly even on your bench in points leagues with the hope that he starts this season. Because again, I think he provides top 25 upside as a starter. You know, he's entering that um, that age group of his prime. I think 25, he's maybe turning 26. That's the time I want that these guys, we've talked about that a lot last season, that age 26 season is usually where we see that next step for these players. Now, Big guy that I want to talk about here for my breakouts, um, and there isn't necessarily stat cast numbers to back it up. It's more or less change of scenery, and for me, it's a big thing about the division he's going to be playing in. It's Hunter Renfro. Hunter Renfro coming over from Boston to Milwaukee. Uh, that was a trade that you know kind of really was a salary dump for Milwaukee. They gave up Bradley. They did give up a, a really good prospect uh, contact guy as well with Bradley in that deal. 
Hunter Renfro this season, I could see him hitting 45 home runs. And I know that's a, a very big projection. I know that's a very bold projection as well. We saw last season the batting average rise from uh, what really was a low 200s, 216 back in 2019 to 259 in Boston. I think we're starting to see him, you know, kind of find patience at the plate as well as kind of finding his zone as to where he wants to be a hitter. The strikeouts were still there last year at 130. He did only play in 144 games, but that's much better than saying around the 200 range. I think when he has to go up against a rebuilding Pirates team, a rebuilding Cubs team, you know, a Cincinnati Reds team, which is kind of in the middle of that rebuild slash contention, they're going to have Hunter Green probably in that rotation. Again, the ballpark. Renfro is going to play in a division where he has all the ample opportunity to hit 40 home runs this season. This will be the test of can Hunter Renfro really kind of cash in on that power that we saw as a rookie where he hit four home runs in 11 games for San Diego back in 2016 and had an 800 slug. Can we just see him be a modest version of that in Milwaukee? Again, he will have the playing time opportunities. Hunter Renfro for me is going to be a breakout. I think that's definitely going to be one we have to monitor. And then the, the second one I want to talk about is Jesus Sanchez. <clears throat> Sanchez last year, we saw kind of the strikeouts at a big concern in 64 games for Miami. He struck out 78 times. That's a lot, right? And this was something that we had concerns with Sanchez coming up in overall contact ability. But in 64 games, he also hit 14 home runs and had a, had a decent batting average of 251 um, on base percentage of 319. Jesus Sanchez, again, kind of like Hunter Renfro is going to have the opportunity to play in that outfield. I think we could see 25 home runs from him. I think this season we are expecting probably a 230 batting average, you know, over 64 games to bat 251. I don't think that's a long enough period of time to have those strikeouts really lower the batting average like we wanted. Uh, I don't have his BABIP numbers in front of me, but I would imagine his BABIP was pretty high as well. But a guy that I expect to have playing time, and we're talking about playing time, especially at the end of drafts, if you're in five outfielder leagues, Sanchez is a guy that I would absolutely love to have as my fifth outfielder. Yeah, I'm just looking it up right here. Jesus Sanchez last year had a 316 BABIP. Um, so That's not bad. Pretty, pretty par for the course. Yeah. Um, while you were uh, also talking, I looked up Hunter Renfro. So his expected home runs uh, last year in Miller Park would have been 35. Now he hit 31 last year. So it is an increase. Um, so maybe he doesn't hit that 40, 45 home runs. But hopefully he should hit a little bit more. He's going to a more friendly uh, ballpark. So um, I'm definitely behind you with Hunter Renfro. Maybe it's just because it's a homer pick here. But um, just well, overall, it'll be good to see uh, some home runs coming to Miller Park. Maybe we'll get some uh, left field tickets to catch some of those. Well, and it's funny, you know, I've heard, I've heard this from other uh, industry experts talking about like our division, the NL Central. Again, we are Brewer fans. You know, we try to be unbiased in this podcast, but when you really start to look at these teams, right, the Cubs, the Pirates, the Reds, even the Cardinals pitching staff, like we we are not a pitching dominant. Um, division outside of the Milwaukee Brewers pitching staff, which basically has the dominant pitchers of the entire division themselves. You know, you talk about where Renfro was coming from with the Blue Jays and Robbie Ray, Alex Manoa, right? Guys that were pretty good last season. You talk about the Yankees who have Garrett Cole and have had some other pitchers arise last season. The Orioles obviously are um, basically the pirates in that division, right? Allow for a, a lot of easy um, home runs, a lot of e easy competition. But I, I think coming to the NL Central, that's really where the, that prediction comes from, is he's going to have the opportunity to pick on some of these young pitchers, some of these guys that have been bounced around the league. And if he can capitalize on that, you're talking about a great trade for Milwaukee. So look for a good season from Renfro. Absolutely. 
All right, uh, let's move on to our last segment, which are free agent predictions. So during the MLB lockout, um, not everybody got to sign with the team, so there are still quite a few out there. Uh, kind of just want to do a fun little segment. We'll we'll go over some of the, the big names here. We'll jot down where we think they're going to go, and we'll we'll come back around to this. Later after the lockout, everything's done, and we'll uh, see who got the most right. Let's. Uh, you want to put a little wager on this, Matt? What do you think? Yeah, I'm down. Let's do. Uh, let's do a, a nice little twenty dollar bet for the winner. Oh, I was thinking uh, you give me Wander Franco. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> well, if I win, I want you to go out. I want you to acquire Juan Soto, and then I want you to trade him to me for pennies on the dollar. How about that? How for Chris Hill, maybe? <laughs> no, I'll do twenty to twenty bucks. Let's do. Uh, let's do twenty bucks. Okay. Well, overall, we'll do whoever had the the most right. Correct. Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Um. Let's uh let's start with the first ones here. Um, I'm still jotting down a few of where I think they're gonna go, so I'll let you uh, talk about these first three we have listed and where you think they're gonna go and why. Yeah. So first one we have on our list is Freddie Freeman. Uh, definitely the upper echelon, you know, tier A of free agents still available. Freddie Freeman, you know, is is the face of the Braves Braves organization. I know they have Acuna, and obviously he is, you know, one of the faces of baseball. But when you talk about Freddie Freeman, you know, you have a decade long period of success there in Atlanta. Um, first time he's going to hit the open market after his last extension. I do expect him to go back to the Braves. Uh, I, th- I think the opportunity for him to go to Boston or New York is obviously there. But what it would take for either of those teams to pry him away from the Braves might be $50, $70 million over what the Braves are going to offer. Because at the end of the day, you're talking about higher tax brackets in both Boston and New York. And that hometown loyalty, right? Freddie Freeman, if he stays in in Atlanta is talking about a legacy player, talking about one of the best Braves of all time, just from the simple fact that he did help bring them a championship and he has been their guy. I expect Freddie Freeman to stay in Atlanta. Carlos Correa is our next pick here. Uh, you know, this is the number one free agent still on the board. The money as of the lockout coming into play wasn't really there for Correa. You saw obviously Corey Seager go to the Texas Rangers and that big deal. That may have been the big money deal of the offseason. Obviously, Correa's agents are hoping that, you know, ultimately the money will be there when the lockout ends. But I expect him actually to go to Chicago. I know Chicago is rebuilding, but at the same time, you also need to have the opportunity to sell tickets. They did go out and sign Marcus Stroman. I think the Cubs might come in with a seven, eight, nine year offer at the 30 to $35 million per year rank. And that might just make Correa, you know, a little bit anxious to sign take the guaranteed money while it's there. Uh, there's been a lot of talk about him getting a three or four year deal around the industry. I think Correa is looking for guaranteed money. So I think Correa goes to the Cubs. Uh, last one of our top three is Trevor Story. Um, I have him going to the Yankees on a one-year deal, possibly a two-year deal, kind of a um, duct tape until Volpe comes up. I don't project Story to have a great season. He was really helped out by the numbers in the ballpark in Colorado. I think Story is actually a guy that I'm looking for to bust out this season. Uh, so I have him with the Yankees. All right, just to play a little devil's advocate here, I think Freddie Freeman will go to the Yankees. I think the Yankees will find a way to give more money than the Braves. Um, I also believe Carlos Correa will go to the Yankees, and that's just more so to play devil's advocate against you with uh, Trevor Story going there. One of us is going to get this right. Hopefully it's me. Um, And then I'm going to say Trevor Story. I'm just going to go out on a limb here. Just say maybe he re-signs with the Rockies. Um, 
really don't have any other thoughts of who needs them. I initially thought it might be the Blue Jays, but they got Boba shot. Um, so it doesn't really seem like a good fit there. Um, did you talk about Chris Bryant yet, or we still got to talk about no, him? No, Chris Bryant is uh, next on the table. All right, I think Chris Bryant is going to go ahead and re-sign with uh, the San Francisco Giants. Um, they kind of made a good run there. It seemed like they had some good team chemistry. It's all going to depend on what he wants and if he's a, a money guy or if he wants to, to stay out west. Um, why don't you go ahead with uh, your Chris Bryant and take away with the next few. Yeah, so Chris Bryant here, uh, I like your Giants pick. You know, I, I think that's a, a reasonable assumption that he stays in San Francisco. All reports and all accounts from from Chris Bryant himself seemed like he was pretty happy there with the Giants. I'm just wondering if they're willing to spend the money knowing that, you know, they're still in a rebuild. Like, they had an incredible season last year, but let's not get a, around ourselves. That roster is not built for continuous contention. And I think bringing Bryant back in is going to cost, you know, anywhere from 120 to 150 million. And I think that money might be better spent elsewhere. So elsewhere being the Seattle Mariners, I think with a young emerging team, the, um, the overall like ability for Chris Bryant to play multiple positions is, is very versatile, right? You can play him at third, you can play him at first, you can play him in the outfield. And as Novel Marte comes up and plays short, as Julio Rodriguez comes up, you know, we saw Jared Kelnick up. You've got these young guys that need to look at a veteran leader in that clubhouse. And Seager's no longer there as well, presumably not going to be re-signed by Seattle. I think Chris Bryant slotting in at that third base position, as well as being able to alleviate some pressure in the outfield, would be the perfect signing for the Mariners. Obviously, we saw them bring in Robbie Ray. There's the veteran pitcher that you need to kind of catalyst that staff, that young staff. Now you got to bring in the, the old veteran bat. That is Chris Bryant. So I'm saying Chris Bryant maybe on a five or six year deal, 120, 150 million dollars, money well spent by the Mariners. Um, that's where I expect Bryant to go. Next up on our list is Nick Castellanos, and it looks like here, Richie, we actually have the same projection. I think from both of us being Nick Castellanos dynasty holders in different leagues, we are hopeful that we are both correct here. Um, big talk around the industry being Nick Castellanos, obviously leaving Cincinnati, possibly would really hurt his production that being a very hitter friendly park you know where does he end up does he end up in miami does he end up in a uh, a less hitter friendly park which would lower his you know overall value in fantasy uh we both have him coming at in that the phillies the phillies signing nick castellanos richie tell me a little bit why and what you think that impact would be for castellanos yeah it's a great park and i need him to go there for him to have any fantasy relevance that's pretty much it <laughs> <laughs> no um all jokes aside i think um outside of bryce harper the phillies really struggle to find another outfielder that could help them out um it seemed like they were starting somebody new almost every single day um not gonna lie i can't remember any of those outfielders that's how forgettable they, they were um they also dealt with injuries there so I think just adding that line of protection, it just seems like a, a great fit for Cassianos to go there. Um, there's also been rumors that uh, he's linked to there. So I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. Um, that, that's pretty much it. He's the best outfielder that's available, and that's what the, the Phillies need. And I don't think any other team has a bigger needed outfield than them. Well, and a big reason why, if you look at their 2016-2017 draft, they went out of their way and they took uh, Mickey Moniak first overall in 2016. Mickey just hasn't performed at the level that we expected or the Phillies expected out of first overall pick. And then in 2017, they went out and they took Adam Heasley from the University of Virginia eight overall. 
you know, you expect these guys to come up and kind of cornerstone the outfield with Bryce Harper having two young guys while you have a veteran contract of $30 million a year like Harper's is. Just didn't work. You know, you swing, you swing and you miss sometimes. We talked off air about that. I had taken a look at 16, 17, 18, 19 drafts last night. And honestly, these, these drafts just weren't the strongest. We're seeing a lot more talent come out of the international signing um, pool than we are actually the draft these days. And when you miss on two first-round picks, you got to replace that production somehow. And I think that production is Nick Castellanos. Absolutely. You hit it right on the head. Let's move on to the next three here. We got Clayton Kershaw, Kenley Jansen, and Anthony Rizzo. Personally, I think Clayton Kershaw is going to sign with the Blue Jays. Um, it seems like a great fit for them. Seems like uh, it's a great team for him. Blue Jays just lost Robbie Ray to the Mariners in the offseason. They are a young, up-and-coming team. Um, shouldn't have too much on their salary. I don't have those numbers in front of me, so they should be able to afford him. Use that veteran presence that Clayton Kershaw can offer. Um, so it just seems like a good fit um, in my mind. Kenley Jansen. I think he'll go to the Reds. Um, the Reds last year struggled to find a, a good closer. It seemed like they were going in and out with different guys. Um, it just seems like with them losing Castellanos and having an extra payroll, um, it seems like they'll be able to go out and afford um, the one big closer that's out there and available. And then Anthony Rizzo, um, not sure if they'll actually do it, but I think... Uh, He'll go back to the Cubs. I know um, he was one of the, the players that loved the, the team, and I thought there was rumors that he might make a reunion in the offseason. So it'll be interesting to see if that can come true. Um, Matt, you disagree a little bit with me, so uh, let's hear your take on these guys. Yeah, um, I, I like the Blue Jays for Clayton Kershaw. I think, you know, with the signing of Kevin Gosman this offseason there for Toronto, they may have spent a little more money on that pitching rotation. They also extended Jose Barrios. That would be my only concern with him possibly going to the Blue Jays, how much money are they actually going to allocate to that rotation. Now, with that being said, they have Bichette and they have Vladdy. They have these guys on rookie contracts, right? Now's the time to spend that money. And Kershaw's the type of guy that might only take a two- or three-year deal to really lock him up. That opens up that window, right, when you have to re-sign Bichette and Vladdy to have free money on the table after having a period of contention. I do think, with that being said, he actually is going to sign with the Rangers. Um, obviously, the Astros would be an interesting case, but I think with all the drama of the cheating scandal and kind of the hot-blooded rivalry that the Astros and the uh, Dodgers share, that's probably out the window. So Clayton Kershaw being a Texas guy, you know, pictures floating around after the Super Bowl of him and Stafford hanging out, both guys that went to the same high school, grew up in the same area. They are Texas guys. I think this is Kershaw's opportunity to head back to Texas. And I think the Rangers, much as the Blue Jays, they need veteran presence in that rotation. They also don't have nearly as many young prospects outside of Cole Wynn coming up that are going to anchor that staff. You've spent the money on the infield. It's time to spend the money on the pitching. Again, two or three years for Clayton Kershaw going to the Rangers, my projection. Kenley Jansen, uh, Reds, I think is a very, very good, reasonable comp there. Uh, they do need help in the back end of that bullpen. I think Sims is really the guy that they're projecting right now to possibly be that closer. And he had his own issues last year, so I think Jansen would fit well with the Reds. But I'm actually going to take him and go to Miami. Jansen is definitely a guy that has showcased throughout his career his enjoyment for nightlife, um, his, his enjoyment for socializing. And I think Miami's that type of team, that type of city, where he's going to have some of the things that may lure him away from L.A., and again, Miami, similar to L.A., is more of an, a nightlife city, and they need a closer down there in Miami. This team is kind of starting their rebuild and kind of their uh, contention period a little bit earlier than I think we expected, but Jansen would do really well in that bullpen as a veteran. 
and then Rizzo, I think it would look great in back in Chicago uniform in that blue uniform. But um, ultimately, I think the Yankees do not trade for Matt Olson, and I do not think they also sign Freeman as we had talked about earlier. So I think he goes to the Yankees. Yeah, that's what uh, the Marlins need is a, a closer that's distracted by the nightlife. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Doesn't sound like a good combination, but I, I could see where uh, Kenley Jansen uh, sees that more attractive. Um, so I'll give you that. I mean, you know, living in Cincinnati or living in Miami, I, I think LeBron James made that decision in the state of Ohio, at least for us a few years back. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe Kenley Jansen comes out with his own little uh, his own little press conference and it says he's taking his talents to South Beach. Uh, all right, let's move on to the last three we have here. Nelson Cruz, Carlos Rodon, and your boy, Zach Greinke. Um, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say Nelson Cruz uh, re-signs with the, the Twins, um, and maybe that's where he ends his career. Uh, Carlos Rodon, uh, we're going to agree here. I think he's going to go to the Astros. Just seems like a good fit, seems like a good team. He seems like he likes banging on trash cans, so it'll fit, work <laughs> out perfectly for him. Uh, all jokes aside, um, no, I think I think that fits there. Um, and then Zach Greinke, um, it was a tough one for me. I thought he could have gone to the Dodgers, to the Angels, but all in me, I think he's going to go to the Nationals um, just to help fill that void with Max Scherzer there. Um, and I think he won't ask for too much money since he is on a decline, and that might be uh, what the Nationals end up doing to to fill that pitching spots. Yeah, I mean, Cruz is a hard one, right? And I think with the new DH rule being implemented in the NL and obviously the AL, there's going to be ample opportunity for Cruz. I think Cruz is throw a dart at a dartboard and just see where it lands. Um, Cruz, you know, original organization was the Oakland A's. Um, and ended up getting traded over to Milwaukee. Milwaukee then traded him again. I'm looking for Nelson Cruz to finish his career in Milwaukee. As it stands right now, Milwaukee plays more of an analytical ball, so you don't think about having a guy at DH consistently. You like to move that piece in and out. But I would love to see Nelson Cruz in Milwaukee. You know, we talked about Hunter Renfro. You know, hopefully Christian Yelich comes back. You're talking about Nelson Cruz possibly hitting 30, 40 home runs one more time for the Brewers. And again, in a weak division, uh, I can see the Twins easily as well. You know, he was comfortable there in Minnesota. They did get some assets for him in that trade. Why not just go back to Minnesota? Again, I think it's a toss-up. Um, Carlos Rodon moving forward, we do agree with the Astros. I had originally this offseason thought it was going to be an absolute lock for the Angels, but they did go ahead and sign Noah Syndergaard. Uh, We've talked about Patrick Sandoval a little bit uh, here as well as I confuse him with Pablo Sandoval. Very different body types and very different skill sets. But the Angels also have um, Jose Suarez, and they did sign Michael Rizlanz, uh, Michael Lorenzen, who they promised a starting rotation spot to. So I think Rodon going to the Angels is a little bit less likely now. And I think what we saw from the postseason was that the Astros need pitching. You know, if you can get Rodon on a one- or two-year prove-it deal, see if he's still healthy, that's great value for a rotation that needs that left-handed arm. Zach Greinke, um, I have some funny notes listed here because I'm just not a Zach Greinke fan. I think I'm going to take a really bold prediction here. I think Zach Greinke goes back to Kansas City. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but it'll be nice to see if it does. Um, isn't that where he started his career in Kansas yep. City? Traded from yeah. Kansas City to Milwaukee. In Milwaukee, I think, to the Angels, then signs with the Dodgers. Then signs with the um, Diamondbacks, Diamondbacks, and then, right? And then traded to the Astros. Traded to the Astros for Seth then, Beer. Yeah, yeah, he's been yeah, he's been bouncing been around the a Astros. lot. Yeah. Well, wherever he goes, it's not going to go well because he needs to adjust and um, 
um, get used to the ballpark. Um, happened with Milwaukee, happened with the Diamondbacks. I believe it happened with the Astros, too, his first year, or the, that first half season when he was traded. He didn't do well because he, he's the type of guy that needs to adjust to his environment. He was already on a downward slide um, last year, so I think this is a person we probably could have skipped, but uh, I knew he's your favorite person in the world, so I, <laughs> I figured we had to talk about him. <laughs> well, and I, yeah, I think ultimately we're at the tail end of Zach Granke's career, right? I think, you know, whether it's um, the Midwest that he goes home to or another, you know, rebuilding team, I just don't think contenders are going to take that risk, that risk on Zach Granke because ultimately we saw last year, as a fantasy player, you couldn't rely on him. As a big league club, as a contending club, do you really want to rely on him? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So uh, it'll be nice to see if he does go back to Kansas City for a little homecoming. But that wraps up all of our free agent predictions. Um, it'll be nice to win 20 bucks off of you. <laughs> um, but that's all we have for today's show. Until then, uh, take care and we'll see you next time.